Hey, what's up, what's up, Resonate Church? Good to see all of you at this place. And I want to make a special announcement just to say, hey, Hayward, we're looking out for you. We see you, and we are really proud of you. Did you know that this weekend Hayward had their program for their city called Unwrapped, where they provide these gifts for all these people in the city who have trouble of gathering resources to bless their family and their friends, and they come to the church and get these gifts wrapped and give that to them so that on their own volition, they will be able to give it to those people that they love. And my favorite part about this story, Hayward, is I hear that it was all surf staff led, which is incredible. And we're celebrating you today. So incredible. And if you are part of our Oakland family, hey, so glad that you are here with us. And we're celebrating you today because just a couple weeks ago, I was able to visit you and your heart for Oakland, that city, and your church. We're incredibly inspired by you and can't wait until we partner, aren't we? Are we, are, can we? Can we just anticipate that and know that God's gonna do great things? And of course, our online family, welcome. We love you wherever you are tuning in. Hey, I wanna start by just appealing to your imagination. Say you are a humanitarian aid worker somewhere in the Middle East and you're faithfully serving days, weeks, months, and all of a sudden, without warning, swoops in a terrorist group, comes and abducts you, blindfolds you, and takes you away to an unknown destination where you are sat in a place and your eyes are open to a dim, dark, wet, soggy place without much food, you being tired, completely isolated, you are scared, you are fearful, and you don't know if you have hope to go on. Days turns to weeks, and weeks turn into months, and you're running out of hope. All of a sudden, one day, you hear a big bang, and the cell doors open, and it's the U.S. Army. Somebody comes in and says, I am Sergeant so-and-so, and I'm here to rescue you. You don't have to worry any longer, but I need you to wait a minute here. Sit tight, and goes away. And you're like, sit tight? <laughs> What are you talking about, sit tight? You just came for me. And those minutes turned into hours, and those hours turned into days and weeks. And you have some hope, but yet that hope is dashed for you to be rescued. You're remembered, but yet that remembrance only lasts so long as to you and your longing to be rescued once and for all. And that is like us kind of like living through this redemptive history between the two Advents. The first Advent of Jesus coming on Christmas and second Advent when he will come to redeem his church, his bride, once and for all. You see, we are in a series called Carol, and we hear these songs, these very familiar songs over the radio, over the aisles of Target, Walmart, Costco, wherever. Not Costco because they don't play any songs, right? Um, um, but in the malls or whatever, if you ever go to malls anyway or your Spotify. But yeah, we're, we, we're familiar with these songs, but we don't understand them. And today, I have the great privilege to actually teach on my favorite carol of all, which is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's all about the tension, living between the two tensions of the two Advent. And what I love about this carol is that it is deep in theology, and it is deeply 
hopeful. And so what I want to do is I want to study a lyric of the carol, and then we'll, we'll look at a parallel passage, and we'll study that. And my hope is at the end of the day that not only will you be encouraged today because God is with us, but more so that you'll be hopeful for one day God will be with us forever. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 9? Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at two verses, 6 and 7, um, just noting the first coming of Emmanuel, and the secondly, we'll study uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll look at, at the second coming of Emmanuel. And if you are able in all of our campuses and places, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And once again, I'll pray that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me today. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, this is the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 1 Thessalonians 4:16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is the word of the Lord for this great Sunday morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Let me give you some context to this glorious carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is the oldest carol that we sing in modern times. In fact, this is an oldie but a goodie. And I know there's some oldies here in Fremont campus, Hayward campus, in Oakland, and online. Some of you interact with the younger people and say, man, music was not, music is not today what it was then. Some of us really like the oldies, amen? And so we love the oldies, and this is one of the oldie of oldies. Now, we don't know who wrote it. They believe a monk or a priest wrote it from a monastery all the way back in 800 AD. I mean, think about that. It's over 1,000 years old, but yet it is such, it's so rich in meaning. It's so profound in its significance. And so it highlights three very important truths that we're going to go over today. First, the meaning of Emmanuel, we have to understand the meaning in order to then understand the mission of Emmanuel. And if we understand the mission, then we will deeply appreciate more the majesty of Emmanuel. And that is the hope that we will pursue. First, the meaning of Emmanuel. The question is, what does Emmanuel mean? So the opening lyrics to this hymn are, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And it is a direct reference to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that says this, And therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this was a prophecy given to Isaiah to comfort God's people. But let me just give you a context so you could better appreciate this moment. 
there was a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz, it was a young king. And as a young king, he took some defeats early on, some big L's. Big L's. Like, kind of like how the Niners and the Cowboys beat up on the Eagles recently. Like big L's, right? And they felt like they're the Eagles, and they still have to show up for, for a Sunday. So they had this impending conquest coming also by a neighboring threat. And so obviously King, King Ahaz is fearful. And so the Lord then sends and responds by sending Isaiah to King Ahaz so that Ahaz will not make the mistake of forsaking God and his protection, instead seeking an unholy alliance with the awful and evil empire Assyria. Because Assyria came up to Ahaz and said, yo, bruh, you know, um, I know that you got whooped on the uh, last two times and you can't take any more L's. And therefore, therefore, I want to help you out. With a small fee, we will be your protection, is what they said, right? And, and so God says to Ahaz, hey, I need you to trust me. Don't make an alliance with them. I'll even provide you a sign. And you could even choose what sign that is. And when you choose it, I will deliver it so that you will know that I am with you. Guess how Ahaz responds? He says, oh, Lord, you are holy. You are sovereign. I would not dare put God to the test. Now, that seems initially very holy and meek, but in reality, it was false humility. You know why? Because Ahaz already struck a deal with Assyria. You see? And, and, and then the sign of the Lord would only shed light on the fact that Ahaz didn't really trust God. He tried to make a way for himself. Now, before we throw some shade on Ahaz, I want to ask you for some compassion for this dude. You know why? Because he's more like us than we realize. Because how often have you in the past cried out asking the Lord, Lord, what is your will in my life without, with fully knowing that whatever he delivers to you, you know good and well that you're not going to do it. You know what I mean by that? You're like, Lord, show me your will as if like you are offering your own will to him when you're essentially asking, Lord, I want you to do my will. And we put a bunch of conditions. I'll do your will as long as you're not calling me to ministry, you're not calling me to poverty, you're not calling me to hardship. I'll do everything, Lord, as long as you're blessing me and making me rich and making me comfortable. Essentially is what we ask. So why would God show us his will when we're unwilling to surrender our will? And so we can't be too hard because God knew Ahaz's intention and God knows ours. But what's so beautiful about this story is even though God knew Ahaz's intention and God knows ours, he still delivers a promise. He delivers and gives us a gift, a sign of assurance for generations to come. His child name will be called Emmanuel, will be born to remind them that God is with his people, and that's what it means. Emmanuel means God is with us. But today, we don't have Assyria defeating us or knocking at our doors. He does provide a different protection, though, from Satan and sin and death. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, follow along with me. It says, she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Say it out loud. Yes, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Say it loud again. Oh, what? Wait, what's his name? 
Well, you just told me his name was Jesus. What's his real name? Is it Jesus? Is it Emmanuel? One, two, three. I knew it. I've never heard of the word Gmanuel, but that's what I heard. What is his real name? You're like, I'm a little confused here. You just say, he shall be called Jesus. And then at the end of the verse, he shall be called Emmanuel. What's his real name? What's the name of my God? What is it? And if you're confused, just sit tight. In order to understand, we have to go back to Isaiah chapter 9, the very verse that we looked at. And there's a key phrase that is, that is all in the Old Testament and the New. It's the phrase, he shall be called. And every time you say, he shall be called, now that phrase is given to us to help us to understand the characteristics of the Messiah, the nature of the Messiah, the ontological being of the Messiah that would personify these characters. So it's not the proper name itself, but it's the personification of those characters that will come through this Messiah. He shall come. He is coming. He is with us. So his birth certificate doesn't say wonderful counselor, comma, Mighty God, comma, everlasting father, prince of peace, comma, Emmanuel. That's not his name. You see, that's a personification of the one that is coming. That is the character of that Emmanuel, God with us. So Emmanuel is not his name, but the personification of what he came to do. And his real name on his birth certificate, his name is Jesus the Hebrew, Yahshua, which is the masculine form of Yahweh. Do you see Yahshua, Yahweh? He is Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Master. So first, understanding now the meaning of Emmanuel then helps us to now understand, secondly, the mission of Emmanuel. The mission. Why is he here? Why did he come? And the carol here offers three reasons. First, to ransom the spiritually exiled, second, uh, to redeem the spiritually enslaved, and third, to restore the spiritually emaciated. So first, let's look at, he came as mission to ransom the spiritually exiled. The carol goes like this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appeared. Now, this is a direct reference to Isaiah 35, verse 10. It reads like this. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away or go away. Now, to better understand the context of this passage, we need to know the history of Israel. You see, God made a covenant with Israel, and Israel made a covenant with God. But their perpetual disobedience got them to be exiled out of their promised land. And they went for 70 years to a place called Babylon where they were enslaved. And after those 70 years, God was good on his promises to deliver them back to the promised land. And they were happy. They were rejoicing. They were dancing. They're like, oh, you know, all the sorrow are gone. No more. We're going to go back to the promised land. And we're going to be thrilled. We're going to be happy forever. But here's the reality. They were no longer in physical exile, but they were still in spiritual exile. Like you and me. You and I are still in spiritual exile. Why? Well, the scriptures tell us because we've inherited the sinful nature from our forefather Adam. Now, because of that sin, it leads to our death. 
And do you realize that God, who's the personification of life, cannot do anything dealing with death? Because if God and his life came to death, then death would be gone. And if death were to actually go into life, life will be gone. And so life and death are separated. And this is the reason why we are separated from God because of our sin that we inherited from our forefather Adam. And this is why Ephesians 2 says that we're by nature children of wrath. And therefore, this wrath causes us to die. And the personification and nature of God who is life cannot deal with us. Therefore, we have to be separated. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that his mission was effective. He has come down to rescue us to solve this problem. Emmanuel came to ransom captive Israel and us from our spiritual exile. Praise God. Now... How did he ransom the spiritually exiled? Well, I'll tell you, Mark 10, 45 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom in the Greek means exchange of currency. This is an imagery of somebody who is enslaved, who cannot get out, who cannot buy themselves out into slavery because they have no means. If they're going to be free, somehow an outside source would supply the means so that they would be set free. And what's interesting about this verse, he says, he came to give us his life ransom for many. That word for, I think, is properly translated instead of. Not for, but Instead, and so Jesus did not just die for us, he died instead of us. Now, one of my favorite illustrations to illustrate this point is sharing the story of one of E.V. Hill, the pastor, the African American pastor in South Central LA. He um, journeyed and he pastored very effectively a church um, through the uh, Watts riot. There, he condemned those people who were destroying his community the very community members that they're they're destroying their own community. And he condemned them, and in the process, he started to get hate mails. And one day, one night, he was enjoying a quiet night with his wife, and all of a sudden, the phone rang, and he picked it up. Kids, you know, sometimes we pick up the phone. We used to. It used to be like this. We picked up the phone. And and he heard and listened and um, hung up the phone, his wife said. Who was that? And he said, I don't know but he promised that he was going to blow up my car with me in it. And that night, in all the nervousness and unknown, they looked out the window to watch their car that was outside in a rusted carport, making sure that no person would come near and tamper with their car. And as they were trying to stay up all through the night, eventually Evie Hill fell asleep. When he woke up the next morning, he realized first that his wife was gone, was missing. Then he looks out the window and realizes that the car's missing as well. So he runs out of the house frantically searching for his wife and his car. After a while, his wife driving his car comes up the street and up the driveway. And he, in frustration and anger, says, what are you doing, woman? Don't you know a bomb could have been planted in that car? And she said, I just had to make sure that this car was safe for you to drive this morning. Because if somebody was going to die, I'd rather me die instead of you. 
Now, the illustration of that breaks down for Jesus because he actually came into our car and turned it up and blew up. He died for us. The Bible says he knew no sin, but he willfully volunteered himself to climb onto the cross so that he would die for us. After all, even in our death, we cannot pay off the debt that is owed to a righteous God who is an eternal, eternal God. Because why? God is eternal. That means the debt to an offense against a holy and righteous God has to be eternal in nature. But we being finite cannot pay the eternal debt. And therefore, yet only one who could pay off an eternal debt must be eternal. That's why Jesus Christ, who is eternal, came down to pay our eternal debt. That's what he did. And so he came and climbed up voluntarily on the cross and decided to become a sponge to absorb every single drop of wrath that we were deserving. He took it for himself instead of us. He died not just for us. He died instead of us to ransom us out of our spiritual exile. But here's the second thing. He came to redeem the spiritually enslaved The lyric goes like this, O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Now this points to Isaiah 11 where it says, there shall come forth a shoot or a rod or a branch from a stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. It says it'll bear fruit from the Root of Jesse, the tree of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? You see, you sing it. You say you sang about the, you know, old come thou, rod of Jesse free. You sang about it. Do you know what it means? You're inviting something. Rod of Jesse free? What does that mean? I'll tell you what this means. The messianic prophecy actually expresses both the humility and the brokenness of the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, where he would come from. Humility in the fact that Jesse was mentioned. Do you know that the most famous person in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, post the patriarch, would be King David, right? King David is by far the most famous person. And yet, Jesse is David's dad. But why was Jesse mentioned instead of King David? Why didn't it say King David, the rod of King David? Instead, it says the rod of Jesse. Because Jesus will come as rather unknown, utterly, hum, hum, uh, utterly in hum, humility. In his own humility, he will come. And, and so secondly, though, at the same time, uh, he will come through the Davidic line. He will come with this massive heritage. He comes from a very, uh, the line of King David and Abraham, and that would normally carry clout. But here's the reality. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you know who conquered the nation? You know who was running the nation? Rome was. And Rome could care less what David did in the past. That was like 800, 700 years ago, man. Who cares about King David? That lineage has totally been broken. And so before, when you spoke of his name, people were like, shudder, ooh, that's important. Now you say King David, they're like, who's that? They don't give a rip. So Jesus comes in brokenness and humility. He comes from a broken lineage. But what's interesting is the song says it bore much fruit. The fruit that Jesus would bear was far greater than that of King David in his prime. Now the question is, what is the fruit? 
Well, if you read Isaiah 11, Emmanuel will come out of the branch of Jesse. It says to secure his people by once and for all removing Satan's weapon, the weapon of death. Do you know that Satan has his greatest weapon against the human race, and it is death? And he's actually keeping us hostage. Literally, you realize in a hostage situation, the person that's keeping you hostage has a weapon. If they don't have that weapon, guess what you'll do? You'll just walk away. But as long as that person has that weapon, you are enslaved. And in the same way, Satan now, his weapon is death, sin, and the law. But could I tell you some great news? God is coming, and Emmanuel is coming, and his mission was to disarm Satan once and for all by destroying death so Satan could no longer enslave us. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says he defeated law. Satan was holding us up with the law. He defeated law. You know how? He fulfilled it all. And it says Jesus defeated death of sin. You know how he defeated sin? Um, the stain of sin that was on us, he lived the perfect life without sin and put it all upon him. And he paid that debt for us. And it says he defeated death. How? He rose from the grave. He did not stay in his tomb. He is alive forevermore. And so he defeated and literally disarmed Satan and the weapon that he had against us. So now as Christians, by faith, by grace, we get to look at Satan and says, oh, that's not a weapon. That's your fingers. <laughs> I get to walk out of this place. Oh, 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 death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? In doing so, the Emmanuel, God with us, essentially disarmed Satan once and for all. So you and I could live in freedom from I mean, the law, sin, and death forevermore. Let's praise God for that. Can we praise God for... And that's incredible. We're set free. But it doesn't stop there. It says, third, he came to restore the spiritually emaciated. Spiritually emaciated. The lyric goes like this. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. It's gone. Okay. You know what day spring is? It's an old school English term for what we would call the sunrise. It reminds me of Luke chapter 1, verse 78, where Zechariah says this. He says, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now, you remember who Zechariah was? Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad. One day, the angel came to him and said, hey, you're going to have a son. He's like, ha ha, my wife is way old, and she ain't going to have any babies. And the angel says, yes, she will. He's like, no, she won't. And that's why God made him mute and deaf. And he was like, he couldn't speak anymore, right? Until the baby came. And on that day, the whole family was scrambling to try to establish a name for this child. What are we going to call him? And then all of a sudden, John being mute gets a tablet and says, he shall be called John. 
And he showed it to his family, and his family said, man, that's stupid. Why are we going to call him John? There's no John in our family. He's not going to be John Jr. There's no John Jr. when there's no John Sr. So it should be like Zechariah or something. But what are we going to call him? And all of a sudden, the angel came and healed him from his deafness and his muteness. He was able to speak. And the very first thing that he declares, he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord, my son. He's going to be the forerunner of this Messiah. And he's going to dispense and disperse this news that this daybreak is coming. This sunshine will disperse the gloom of the day. The darkness will be peeled back from earth. His name is Emmanuel. He comes and he shouts that. That's all exciting and stuff, but the reality check is we still live in gloom. You, You and I know here in the Bay Area, Sometimes, especially the winter, we get the gray days, right? The clouds. We just had one just a few days ago. You're like, where is the sun? And we're like, oh, we're withering. We're dying. You know, we're California. We're fickle about food and weather, right? We're weather wimps. And we're like, where's the sun? And we make the biggest deal on gloomy days. And on those gloomy days, I remember flying out of SFO. And as we were ascending, we penetrated the layer of dark clouds. And on the other side, sunshine hit my window into the cabin. And the sun was there all along, reminding me that on the gloomy days, the sun is always there. It's just that it was covered by the clouds. You know, you and I know stormy days in our lives. Some of us, when loved ones are lost, when the people that we know are desperately sick, when our relationships shatter, Maybe you're not confident about your job or how you're going to make ends meet when you come into a Christmas season like this and can't afford the very thing that you're accustomed to affording or that you flunk your exam and you need to please somebody in your family or you feel like all hope is dashed and gone. We assume the lack of sunshine or the S-O-N, the sun is gone and he's no longer Emmanuel, God with us. That we think God is not with me. And listen, I know the tension really well. Uh, Being a pastor doesn't make me immune to these dark days. In fact, earlier this year, I had some of the hardest days I've ever experienced. It was gloomy. It was dark. It was depressing. I was spiritually apathetic. I was spiritually emaciated. And everything looked terrible to me. The dark clouds were gone. I said, God, where are you? Where are you? And the two things that would normally give me life, the Bible and the body of Christ, It didn't give me life. I was reading the Bible, but it just felt like dry crackers to me. It wasn't food for my soul. And as I looked at the body of Christ, I didn't find joy as I normally do. I felt only burden and expectation and disappointment. And so I confessed to the elders. I went to the elders and confessed to them. I went to the body. I started asking for a fresh word like the psalmist who would meditate day and night in his word. And the Lord was faithful. And he continued to peel back the darkness of my own life. And you might be experiencing those dark and gloomy seasons. You might be depressed. You might find yourself today, wherever you are in all of our campuses, you you might be discouraged. You might have a hidden sin that you're ashamed of. You might be losing a job. You you might actually think, man, how am I going to support my family? How am I going to lose a loved one? 
But could I remind you something today that I know now better than yesterday? That God is with you now. God is with you even now, even if you are experiencing the gloom. God is with you now. Do you know why? You should talk to the body of Christ, especially the senior saints in all of our campuses. We're out there, right? Some of the older senior saints. And they know through personal experience this. The longer they walk with God or the longer you walk with God, you will realize that God is with you. And you can see that more clearly from the rear view mirror of your life than your windshield of your life. And that means sometimes it's easier to recall looking back at your life, God's faithfulness that he is with you. He was with you even then. He is with you now than to see him up ahead and assume that he will be there with you in the future. You know, in fact, I get a little emotional when I look back at my own life to see how God was with me. You know, I, I became a Christian in my early 20s, and I remember, like, breaking up with my Christian girlfriend, and I thought to myself, you know, if I, if I stay pure, and if I, if I do this right, then God's going to bless me with a godly, but most importantly, a hot wife. And, and so that's what I thought. I'm like, this is what I, that's what God's going to do. And in my 20s, my, there's just every single person that I was interested in basically rejected me. Like the, one person that I was really, really interested in, this Christian gal that I thought, man, I'm going to marry this girl, rejected me. And I remember sitting in my room just really confused. I'm like, God, I thought we had a covenant. <laughs> I thought we made a deal, bro. And, and, and I remember just saying, God, where are you? Where are you in all this, you know? Now, looking back at the rearview mirror of my life, you know, one time, like, now 30 years passed from that moment, um, you know, I go to my social media, and that, that girl that rejected me, I see her on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, God was with me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> praise God. Now, I'm not talking about something physical, you guys. Gosh, you guys are so depraved, my goodness. It didn't look like she was a Christian or something. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> when I look back in my life, oh, no dating to finally I see that God was with me. He, he, he brought me Jenny, my wife, today. And even that time, we were infertile for so many years. And now we have three beautiful children. I remember through the season when I lost my mom only to be led to being closer to my dad. Then I lost my dad, then only led to be closer to my brother. And, then, and I got death threats in planting this church. And all of a sudden, I see all this life just, just radiating out of this place and all of our campuses. And, and through COVID, I thought, man, this, the church is over. And yet we're stronger than ever before. You see, daybreak, it's coming. And if you are facing gloom today, if you feel the clouds, I just want you to know that God is with you. He's above the clouds. He has not gone away. He is with you and forevermore. He's with you in more ways than you realize. And he's writing a better story than the one that you could write for yourself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's the third thing. If you understand those things, the mission of Emmanuel, then lastly, you could appreciate the majesty of it. Majesty of him, the Emmanuel. The lyrics go like this. O come thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. I love that. Close the path to misery. It's a clear reference of heaven. 
one day our misery will end. And if you are feeling a little misery today, one day that path will be closed. And the phrase here, the key of David, points to Isaiah 22, where it says the Messiah is the key of David, who not only unlocks the door of heaven, but he's also the pathway of heaven. He's not just the pathway of heaven, but he's the door itself to heaven. As to say that Jesus is everything, that there's no way to heaven without, unless you go through him. He is the path. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one could come to the Father but through him. And then he promises us in John 14 too, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place for us. So looking at this heaven, I want to close by asking you a very important question today. The question is, would you still want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Would your spouse want to go to that heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Your kids, your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors? Because this is what I see. All the people who don't know and love Jesus now, they're living in happiness in this world without Jesus. And if they're content in living without Jesus right now, what makes you believe that they're going to be content if they go to heaven and find Jesus there? And the reality is this. Do you know that most of our views of heaven today, it really appeals to our flesh? It really appeals to our flesh. Think about how we talk about heaven. When you think about heaven, what do you see? Mansions, big homes. Oh, you grew up in a tiny home. One day I'm going to have a mansion. Streets of gold, man. This is going to be awesome. You know, a big fat reunion, a forever barbecue with your friends. All the people that you've lost. You know, all the anxiety that you have here on earth, it's going to be gone. All the pain in your life, all the poverty that you had, all that is gone, you know. All the best recreation, man, golf, boating at the lake, uh, alpine skiing, everything. It's going to be the best version of everything. And most importantly, so many of you think, man, it's going to be an awesome reunion of all those people that I lost, who I loved here on earth. That one day, it, this appeals to the flesh. We think that every person that we ever known that didn't even know Jesus will one day be in heaven. We believe that. We go to funerals. Have you ever been to an unbeliever's funeral where they'll look at a body on a corpse and say, well, that guy is at a better place. And the question is, how do you know? How do you know if they are at a better place? And this is kind of the heaven picture that we paint. It appeals to the flesh. And could I just tell you, it appeals, it appeals to my flesh. I love that version of heaven. That version sounds great to me. A forever barbecue with all of my lost friends, neighbors, and, and family members. That sounds awesome to me. And it appeals to my flesh. I want it. I want to be united with them. That no matter what they believe, that they'll be in heaven automatically. It appeals to my flesh. But that's where I have to tell my flesh, flesh, man, it's not about you. It's not about you. And I have to turn to the authoritative word of God and say, Lord, please give me your narrative of heaven. Because the one that the world is selling is false advertisement, man. It's on infomercials. They're not real. Lord, show me what heaven is look, looking like. What does heaven look like from your vantage point?
And he'll point us to Revelation 21, verse 3. And I want you to specifically look for things that appeal to your flesh or the absent of and all the things that appeal to your spirit. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, Emmanuel. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. My brothers and sisters, the greatest glory of heaven is not a mansion. The greatest glory of heaven is not a reunification with your family and friends. The greatest glory of heaven is not going to be an endless buffet. The greatest glory of heaven is not going to be golf in the celestial places. The greatest glory of heaven will be Jesus Christ and Him alone. Him alone. You'll get more of Jesus. And after that, more of Jesus. Then more of Jesus and Jesus and Jesus forever and ever. And one day I'm going to be laying on a deathbed. And I will have a disease and will lead me to my own demise. And people who love me, many of you and my children and my wife will lay hands and pray for me. Pray for healing. And the good Lord in his great wisdom and sovereignty and kindness will not answer their prayers, will allow me to close my eyes to this world forever. And when my eyes will open, it will be open to Emmanuel, God with me. God with me, not in that moment, but forevermore. Emmanuel, God with us. The question is, are you with God? today you can be he receives you it doesn't matter your history it doesn't matter if you've been dry living under the gloom for years he's always been there and the fact that you're hearing this message now maybe you could take it as a a love letter to you saying i'm here son i'm here daughter i've never left and how about all those people that we know and love that don't know Jesus. Here's the convenient fiction that one day we'll be reunited in heaven. But the inconvenient truth is without Jesus, there will be no life. In fact, they'll be at a place that'll be condemned to the separation of God, which is death forever and ever and ever. So as we think about those people, as we've been commissioned to go out there because we have life, because God is with us, will you help let them know the good news of Christ that came to actually reconcile them, to restore them, to ransom them because Jesus paid the price. Will you share with them so that this Christmas they would know the love of Christ. They would know that God is with us. Let's pray together. Christ, we love you. Thank you for being our ransom paying the price that we couldn't. The eternal God coming as a babe, paying an eternal debt that we deserve, only could have been paid by you. 
thank you for redeeming us and restoring us from our spiritual exile that death, law, and sin cannot, cannot enslave us no more because you paid for them all. And thank you, Lord, that you have come to bring us life in gloomy days, that the day spring is here. You are here with us and forevermore. And one day we long to be with you and we're living in that tension. Would you give us a fresh hope today as we've interacted and engaged in the Herfimer word that you would encourage us in ways that, that we haven't been encouraged in quite some time. Only you could do that work and we trust that you've done it. Thank you, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise. We pray all this in your matchless name, our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give him glory today. Amen.